I'm Vince. And I'm Travis. And we're about to ruin your games and stuff. This is Travis! Welcome to Undesign. Travis, my man, what's going on? So as Michael Stipe said, it's the end of the world, and we know it. And I feel fine. That's exactly right. And that, that aligns, given our current global situation, there was an interesting alignment with the topic you rolled today. So. I did roll a weird one today. It was number 57, and it was the value of apocalypse in games. Yes. So that, that in games could mean anything. Um, but as usual, we're probably going to focus on the RPG of this. Uh, so what is this, Vince? Sure. So here's why I put this in the list way, way, way back. Because oh, well, yeah. I find that many of the games that I enjoy have narratively uh, some kind of apocalyptic event as an element of their storytelling. Okay? Uh, when we say apocalyptic event, by the way, I don't mean truly like the world ended completely. Although, you know, sometimes... So I think what you're saying is the world has changed in some some meaningful way. Yes, correct. Right? Where along the lines of something that narratively would be considered an apocalypse. So Buffy the Vampire Slayer's headstone said she saved the world a lot, right? That's so right. more it was it there 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 was a plural of apocalypse. Yes. Yes. So and that's exactly the point. So this can either be the threat of the thing, okay, mm -hmm. as a, as a motivation. A very common motivation, by the way, for a lot of games is staving off apocalypse. That's not weird. That's many fantasy and science fiction sort of things have that as an element in it. Uh, but also just when it actually did happen as part of the past. So, <laughs> for example, Rifts, right? Rifts is an, uh, a very easy example where... Uh, you had this apocalyptic event that happened and cast the world back into the Dark Ages, and then technology was slowly resurfaced and refound, and now we're X hundred years later, and we live in this weird mishmash of, of pre-Rifts and post-Rifts technology. And yeah, you're in He-Man world. Yes, yes, absolutely. And the world is still quite, uh, quite apocalyptic, frankly, in the tone and tenor of how it is humanity is gathered into these small, mm, yeah. safe spaces and so on and so forth. Um, but there are, of course, many other, uh, sort of games that feature these types of things. Lots of RPG settings in D&D &D feature apocalyptic events that have happened at some point in the mm -hmm. past. Mm -hmm. Time right? of troubles, things like that, yeah. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Where either it was a, a, a full-on apocalypse or something that came right up to the line and was just staved off at the last <clears> moment, <throat> yeah. right? Um, but in either way, it, it massively reshaped the world and the people who live in it. So this can this can both this could both be either this could be like something something in the distance that could happen. Um, so as far as apocalypse, what apocalypses do and how how valuable they are to a game. Um, so like an apocalypse could happen if we don't stop it, or an apocalypse will happen if we if we don't do something, you know that kind of thing. Or it can actually be the setting itself. Yes, that's exactly so, right. So Mad Max is an apocalypse setting, right? Perfect. Yep, 100%. Um, so that's like you're actually in – you're living in the ashes of the civilization, right? Right. Um, this is – the apocalypse happened. It's no longer – it's no longer the, the threat in the future that you have to stop. Now it's the threat that's constant that you have to live through. Yeah. 
Firefly is an example of a post-apocalyptic yeah. world, right? Because Earth is was obviously destroyed and everybody left, right? Uh, Battlestar Galactica, one of our favorite shows of all time. That's certainly a show where an apocalypse happened and it became the the, the new normal. Yeah, the new normal and the narrative thrust for the entire show, right? So I'm I'm fascinated by this in so so let's break this into two broad categories, okay? Because right. I think it'll be good to break up the discussion like this. So one half of this, let's say, <clears throat> yeah. is the apocalypse has happened. All right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that becomes then highly informative of the setting in some way, i.e. Rifts, Mad Max, Firefly, blah, 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 all the things we mentioned, right? Yeah. Or the apocalypse is the motive, and, and staving it off, I suppose, is the motivation for the protagonists over the course of their campaign, adventure, whatever, right? And I think that if we let's take the second one first all right because yeah your typical one your typical one I, that's such a great word travis L- lord of the rings yes absolutely yep uh the this is such a well-worn trope like almost every so many not almost every i shouldn't say that, that's a vast overstatement mm-hmm. so many superhero movies will have apocalyptic events yes. being threatened right uh, so many television shows, as as you mentioned, Buffy, which I consider one of the all time greatest shows ever. Yeah. Nonetheless, every, every, had, every season had an apocalypse. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, or or just something darn near close, right? Yeah, right. sure. Um, and the many D and D games I have played over the years have been stopping the insert evil archetype here. And their plot to destroy all of existence, destroy the world, conquer everything, kill everybody, whatever. Somehow right? there's always another Thanos, yeah. There's always another Thanos, yes, exactly, right? And uh, I think this one, the, the fact that you use the word typical... <laughs> it leaves a bad taste in your mouth, right, about the whole doing it over and over again, right? Like, it's just like, It come really on. does, yeah. Like, immediately that said... that. You spoke the quiet part loud Mm -hmm. with the word typical. I think you have to be really careful as a storyteller. How much you roll this out? With this trope. Yeah. 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 Because there's the the joke in superhero movies was every movie ended with a blue beam going up into the sky that was going to destroy the world, right? There was just this three-year period where every movie ended with some kind of blue beam going up into the sky. And it wasn't just superhero movies. It was alien movies and apocalypse. Like all, it's just all kinds of crap. Sci- every sci-fi movie, all of it. Yep. Just blue, blue beam going up everywhere. the sky. Yep. <laughs> and I think that in D&D games, the number of times that I have run against a villain that is just trying to destroy the world, seemingly kind of arbitrarily because they're mostly evil, is too multitudinous to count. Right. And I will say I'm not sure I really loved most of those games because that plot often feels not always, not always. It really it really depends on how, <clears throat> how uh, it depends on how well your, your motivations are defined. Right. Yes. Um, the motivations of the enemy, the motivations of the party. And and how you've intertwined them, because if it's just a faceless enemy, who cares? Like, ugh. 
Like, it, yeah, you just found out who the bad guy was in the last adventure. He's got a blue beam shooting out of him up into the sky. <laughs> oh, boy, let's fight yeah. him. Like, that's just so boring, right? Right. Um, your worst case you have a relationship scenario here with is these like, guys, with the bad yeah. guy, right? Like, yep. you're, you're, you're Reed Richards in the Fantastic Four, and you have constantly battled this guy called Dr. Doom, and he just keeps coming back with different wily plans to do these things that all, all are actually seemingly separate, but at the end you come to realize all the different things he did were for a reason, and you've been doing it for several years now, and finally it all, it all comes together in a culmination, and, he, and he's, like, he's like, you know what, the only, the only future I've ever seen that, where, that wasn't horrible and an apocalypse was one where I ruled, right? Yeah, and you have to you have to stop him because he's so like he's so ingrained in your characters now. Uh, it's a it's a part of what you've been doing the entire time you've been playing your game. So that that's useful. That's good. That's fun. But like I said, just the random dude at the end with the blue beam. Come on. Sure. So let's let's compare and contrast, shall we? Uh, let's let's make this real. Bad example of this. Did you ever see the the newest Fantastic Four movie? I have not seen Fantastic. I've seen the other two, though. Okay, so Fantastic is a great example of the worst way this happens. Where very late in the movie, <laughs> Doctor Doom just shows up. It's it's this other character that had been there and been around, but whatever. He was always kind of douchey, and then he just he was just douchey though. But he wasn't he wasn't a megalomaniac, evil, destroying Mastermind, world villain, right? Yeah, yeah, he was just another scientist, mm-hmm. and he shows back up. Kills a bunch of people, shoots a blue beam into the sky. Yes, he had a blue beam. Ugh. And he's going to destroy the oh, world. Oh, that's awful. And it just felt so dumb and hollow because it was like in the last 10 minutes in this ongoing scene of nothing. Waste. Waste. Horrible. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's compare and contrast that to Buffy Season 3 and The Mayor. Yeah. Okay. The mayor clearly had an agenda to destroy the world. That was, you know, he was going to become this big immortal worm and this big true demon creature and blah, 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 right? But the mayor was such a compelling character. Such a great guy, yeah. And he had turned, you know, one of the the, the good guys over to his side, yep. right? There was so much pathos there. Like his, yeah, his hands were in everything, everything that they'd done throughout the whole season. Yes. So it was it was just it, like it was. And yes, he was leading up to an apocalypse, right, where where everything in the world was going to change um, because he was going to take control. So uh, uh, you, you cared like that's, that's that's really what it comes down to is if you've built enough like uh, enough story between the start point of the story and the apocalypse to make it matter <laughs> that there's an apocalypse. That's when it's good to good to implement an apocalypse as a story. Right. A hundred percent. You have to actually build a lot of runway. Yeah. For an apocalyptic story. Uh, if, it can't if, just be a whim, because if it's a whim, it's boring. Exactly. Yes. There has to be investment there, because the PCs need to actually care about the world they inhabit. They need to know people. They need to have things. They need to have relationships. And then if things go south, it matters. Right? Right. Yeah, like they're they're invested in the lives of not only their characters but NPCs, of of other people they've met, and that world means something to them at that point, right? If you just start out and thrust people kind of unexpectedly with this turn into this plot, it just feels so empty. Like, oh yes, there's another villain, and and again, the villain's motivation and their relationship to the villain, I think you nailed it, is so important, right? Because the cackling. I want to destroy the world because villain 
so empty. Now, you can have people who are just evil for evil's sake. And sometimes I like using evil for evil's sake villains. Uh-huh. But I don't usually combine evil for evil's sake villains with I want to destroy the world. I like right. evil. They, see, that's the thing. Evil for evil's sake in my games are almost always the hench guys, right? They're not the main bad guy. They're, yes. they're, they're some sub-boss who, who, is, who has been contracted to do awful things because they're so good at doing awful things. But as a total, like, on the, on the grand scale, they're just, it's not good as a main villain, right? Uh, uh, completely, yes. Like, they're cool as just a sort of step along the road. They have their own minor plots or intrigues. Mm-hmm. They, they, they inconvenience and get in the way of I believe you of, can get there. PCs. Like, I believe you can get there, though. Like, if for the entire campaign it's been main villain and his henchman, and at the very end the henchman's, like, chopped the head off a of main guy, now, it, now you just got to deal with me? That's cool. Sure. But, Good turn. Yeah, Good turn. And he's like, I'm just going to blow up the world. And see, he, was, he, he was about to just change it. I'm going to blow it up. You know, whatever. You can yep. do that. But it has to, has to be weaved properly. Have you watched any of Castlevania on— I have not seen it yet, no. Okay. It's a worthwhile watch. But what's interesting so you're, is— So you're going to spoil it for everybody? I'm not. I'm not going to spoil it for everybody oh, right. because it's, it, the season three just recently— Spoiler dropped, alert, so. everybody, if you want to watch, Cap, watch Castlevania. Mm-hmm. No, I will just say they actually touch on this. Okay. Because the—let's call it season two. They call it season two. But really, it's—season it, one and two are one big arc. One arc. One big yeah. season. Uh, because season one was more like a really long trailer. Uh, but the the season one, two arc is actually careening toward apocalypse. Okay, that's and, and that's sort of the premise of that. And it's interesting because in season three, they have one of the bad characters, one of the evil characters, one of your antagonists, reflects on that and is like, no, no, that plot was stupid. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? That doesn't make any sense. We live in the world. We don't want to destroy it, right? right? It's, it's very, very much the Spike versus Angel mo- moment, right? He's, yes. It's like, you know, he's tough. You know, tough guy talk, right? But yeah, the things I like are in this world. Like, there's lots of people. That's that's a walking buffet, and there's smokes and there's alcohol. I like it here, right? Yes. Um, I don't want to blow it up, so we need to stop him. Exactly. And so they actually have a character voice that and reflect on that and say like. No, I've got evil plans. Like, don't get me wrong, right? This, I'm an yeah, antagonist. Yeah, yeah. They don't say it, obviously, in these words, but they're like, no, no, I'm an antagonist. Look, I've got some evil plans here, but they're reasonable evil plans. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's how the framing device is for this conversation. And I just really enjoyed it because the way it was laid out, it was so human, right? Yeah. So uh, if you're going to do it, like if you're going to make, make a game about an apocalypse, you got to be on your game. Like you got, right. you got to bring the storytelling. You got to bring the character interaction and the NPC creation and and the uh, the deployment of the NPCs and the you know in which in which ways that are gonna you know endear them to the PCs positively or negatively. Um, you, you got you got to work for it to be any good. Otherwise, it's just gonna be another ho hum, crappy Michael Bay movie. Uh, yes, yes, exactly. When you do this right, you know you get something like. Uh, like Lord of the Rings or uh, or Infinity War and Endgame or whatever. If you do this wrong, you get Battleship. Oh, <laughs> Battleship. Oh, no. Yep. Uh, or here you go. I'll do it like this, Trav. You ready? Yeah. If you do this right, you get Pacific Rim 1. Ah! If you do this wrong, you get Pacific Rim 2. 2. two. <laughs> it's that easy. Oh, God. I can do this in one franchise. Okay. 
So, so now our, our second, our second. Yeah. Tier. What, what, what else are we talking about here? So the second part of this is when you use an apocalypse that's happened to actually right. be the framing device for the story. Right. right. It gives you, it really like at, when you're building, you're building worlds like this. Um, it gives you so much freedom to play. Right. Yeah. Because yep. because the status quo is probably in a, in some sort of flux, right? You can yep. change things. Um, you can uh, you you can you can make things um, interesting happen that wouldn't happen in a game that didn't have an apocalypse previously, right? One hundred percent. Yeah, it lets you add in all sorts of different elements. So I'll give you an example of how I've deployed this in my own uh, my own thoughts and, and activity as a storyteller. So I recently have been working on a new campaign world that I want to run games in. And I've, I've yeah. run one game in it and it's been lots of fun, but I decided that I wanted an apocalyptic event to have happened in this world a decent amount of time ago. Okay. So the world has fully recovered and healed from whatever that was, but by fully recovered, I mean like there's not, you know, bombs still dropping or something like that. It's not Mad right. Max, right? There are civilizations again is my point. Right. But enough time. Yeah. Because enough time has passed. Yeah, life finds a way to find a balance of some kind. Yeah. Yes, but the reason I wanted to do that was because it let me make the civilization that is in the world very pocketed and separated. That's mm -hmm. something you often see in, in post-apocalyptic games, yeah, right? Yeah. Where lots civilization becomes, yes, very pocketed. There's lots of dead space in between where it's sort of not safe to be. It let me have lots of different levels of uh, technology or science or magic or whatever yeah. of culture being very, 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 very distinct, right? Because some areas simply survived better than others, right? So they retained yeah. more of what they had and were able to then build on it to a higher level. So it let me have some places that feel very ancient and some places that feel very futuristic and all in the same world. And because of the space in between, those places don't talk or trade or interact with each other very often. So everybody remains <laughs> very localized, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, and, and, and it gives uniqueness value. Correct. Yep, absolutely. It also allowed me to play the Mystery Box secret game, which I love. Uh, I love when you have things that happened in the past that have become lost to history. And by the way, you can do this even without an apocalypse, but this right. just gives you a good excuse to do it. Um, you know, in the, our world primarily has not had, a, you know, an, what we would call an apocalypse since the time of the Egyptians or whatever. But, you know, uh, Indiana Jones can still go find lost and hidden things and secrets and stuff like that can happen. Right, But you can have great reveals like, you know, Planet of the Apes. Oh, that's the Statue of Liberty. Oh, my God, it's a, it's the world. You know, yes. that kind of thing. Yes, You can have exactly. those kind of revelations eventually. Absolutely, yes. It lets you bury that kind of stuff around there, which I always find uh, really fun. And I I just I enjoy those kinds of of uh, those kinds of worlds. The recently I was looking at a series again because my wife was asking about it. I think she wants to read it because, you know, trapped in the house looking for more books to read. Yeah. She pulled out Stephen Hunt's uh, Court of the Air series. OK, I'm not which about it. it's a great series. I really like it. It is somewhat steampunky, but I mean, not it's really everything punky because it is it's just a kitchen sink world. Sure. And it's very much it's post upon it's our Earth, but way in the future like way in the future after a big almost unrecognizably okay. so maybe yeah correct yeah exactly but it lets him play with with all sorts of crazy things where the world feels like you can kind of get hints 
at what he's talking about. Like it seems yeah. to be taking place in some far future version of of England, which probably I think at this point isn't even separated from Europe anymore. Like it's re-crashed into the continent. Like plate tectonics have moved it that far, I believe. Yeah. Um, but it, so it lets him play with all these different things. And I really love the story because they have some elements that feel futuristic, some that feel more Victorian, some that feel very ancient, and all this stuff just mashes in together, right? And he uses it very wisely in that way to create, to riff on classic concepts uh, and explore I think this is also another really good way that you can retread um, old favorite things. Like, you can take your favorite campaign setting that you haven't played in 10 years and, and walk all over it with an apocalypse and bring some players back and then slowly reveal to them that they're playing in a world that they've are, they're already familiar with, you know, and there's, there's nothing um, more, more rewarding as a GM than to reveal something awesome about someone's previous character that they didn't think was going to show up. Right. Yep. Yep. Um, something that they did in a world so long ago that, that wouldn't have mattered to anyone else, but that, that, that player's face lights up when you say something about it. Right. Um, yes. And, and you execute it in the game. Um, so it makes a difference. So so you can retread things that way by using an apocalypse to change the world into what you want to play now while still having some kind of connection to the things you love from the past. Absolutely. And I think you don't when, – when we say – like I use the word apocalypse as shorthand because it's sort of the easy way to think about this. Yeah. But there's other there's other variations on this theme you could deploy. So we've talked about MechWarrior many times in this podcast because it's a world that i truly truly love like as a as a storytelling world it's so beautiful and they didn't have an apocalypse as we would think of it but they had almost an apocalyptic event in the fall of the star league and the uh the uh egress of krinsky and all of the military from the inner sphere right it's Mm -hmm. suddenly Cha- like it was that infrastructural breakdown can really make something interesting happen. Yes, it was such a huge change when seventy-five percent of the military and their families left the inner sphere. Mm-hmm. When Star League, a government that had guided them for centuries, collapsed. Right. Uh, the that was an event that just changed the entire nature of that world so much so that it's literally. You know, in the game, you can choose to play in these different eras. That's the era break, right? Yeah. And that makes perfect sense to me because it was literally this point where this mega event happened that shook the foundation of the of the setting to its very core. You know, what the world looks like tomorrow in that world is completely different from what the world looked like yesterday. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it doesn't have to be my, – my point in saying this is to simply say that it doesn't have to be nuclear bombs falling or you know something or, or ley lines reopening up and killing 98% of the world's population or whatever, right? It doesn't have to be that. It doesn't have to be Terminators coming out, right? Right, right. It can just be like something so massive in its, in its sort of impact of a, of a thing that happened. A major political power collapses. Uh, uh, the Warhammer 40K universe is like this, right? Where you had the Imperium of Man and ruled over by the Emperor, and then there was the Horus Heresy, where where you know a big portion of the Imperium fell to chaos. 
wasn't really a true apocalypse in perhaps some sense of whatever that means on a, on a galaxy-wide empire, mm-hmm. but it was apocalyptic, right? Right, in its in its effects, in that it ha- in that it set the tone for the next ten thousand years of that of that empire, right? That's a that's a heck of a of a a thing that just happened there. Um, in the backstory of Dune, right, where they had the rise of the the machines of the AI intelligence and they they fought it back and now they don't allow com- smart computers right that's why they have the mentats yeah. you know uh great example yeah yeah like that was a, a huge thing that impacted the entire nature of how the that's why there's the spacing guild and the mentats and that's why their culture is shaped how it is right because they almost lost everything so i think that it's you can you can do these things that aren't aren't just the traditional cataclysmic disasters that are just as impactful in the same way. There are these apocalyptic events that aren't the traditional cataclysms. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Dragonlance, speaking of cataclysm. Uh, that was a thing. The cataclysm, right? Like that's another another reason I always loved Dragonlance was that, that the cataclysm, yeah, so. Of course they did it again and then that didn't turn out well, but whatever, you know. You <laughs> well, gotta try, you gotta have some fun, try some things. Cataclysm me once, shame on you. Cataclysm <laughs> me twice. Cataclysm me twice, you, you can't castle, c- cataclysm me. Can't, cataclysm, can't, can't do it again. Yeah, exactly. Can't do yeah. it again. <laughs> and, and, you know, and then there's and Rifts, you know. Rifts is is definitely that. Like, that's how they describe the, the, the book is like, it's a great cataclysm. Event wiped out, you know, people and yeah. brought back magic and stuff, right? So a lot of our favorites you can do anything with it really like that's what's great about apocalypse as a as a method for world generation it is such an interesting element to insert in your world because it lets you put a hard line in the sand that isn't a thing that is often as easy to create in in quote unquote history where you can say because of this things changed in a permanently impactful way right yep and it gives you callbacks for all of your characters to use, you know? Yep, yep, absolutely. They can build that into their characters. So, I mean, yeah, Apocalypse. Uh, so the value of Apocalypse in games, right? That, it's high. That's the topic. It's high. Pretty high, pretty high, yeah. It's, it's a pretty important thing, and you really need to hone your skill as a GM to, to, to deploy it correctly or as a game maker to, again, deploy it correctly, right? I completely agree. Yep, I think that's, that's it. That's the deal. All right, well, we're going to call that undesigned for now. Let's get out of here, Vince. All right, that's undesigned. As always, thank you very much for listening. Head on over to uh, to iTunes and give us a rating or review. Uh, we certainly do appreciate that. We hope everybody's staying safe out there. If you've got questions or suggestions for future topics, don't forget there's an email down below. But as always, we thank you very much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Mm-hmm.